0: Welcome to Sharing the Spectrum and Autism Canada Podcast, an engaging series of discussions about relevant topics, including parenting, relationships, employment, education, nutrition, and so much more. We look forward to introducing you to people from our ASD community and sharing their perspectives on life and autism. And now, please enjoy this episode of Sharing the Spectrum and Autism Canada Podcast.
1: Good evening, everybody. I'd just like to welcome everyone um, tonight to our second in this in our Back to School series. My name is Julie, and I'm with Autism Canada, and I'm going to be the moderator tonight. Just before we start, I'm going to do a land acknowledgement. So I'd just like to acknowledge the Indigenous peoples of all the land that we are on today. While we meet today on a virtual platform, we would like to take a moment to acknowledge the importance of the lands we call home. We do this to reaffirm our commitment and responsibility in improving relationships between nations and to improving our own understanding of local indigenous peoples and their cultures. From coast to coast to coast, we acknowledge the ancestral and unceded territory of all the Inuit, Métis and First Nations people that call this land home. Please join us in a moment of reflection to acknowledge the harms and mistakes of the past and to consider how we are and can each in our own way move forward in a spirit of reconciliation and collaboration. Thank you. Again, I'm Julie and I'm with Autism Canada. And I just like to thank those of you, some of you have donated when you register. I just like to those of you who have donated, we're able to run these free educational sessions because of the generosity of our donors. And we really, really do appreciate that and are grateful. If you would like to make a donation after the event, you're more than welcome to do so, of course, at our website, www.autismcanada.org. And then finally, I want to introduce our panel. Those of you who were with us last week already have this information, but for those of you who are new, Bruce Patherick is here, and Bruce is an autistic advocate and member of the Autism Canada Family Services team. He's also an amazing musician. He's a father to two neurodivergent kids, and he's an educator. You can learn more about Bruce, especially his musical side at BrucePatherick.com. Uh, next is Kara Diamond. Kara is an honorary member of the Autism Canada team. She's a late diagnosed autistic advocate, author of The Autism Lens. I highly recommend you checking out her book. And she's a teacher to autistic children in a large Canadian school board and a teacher instructor at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education where she teaches a graduate course in mental health and special education. She also hosts a great podcast called Autistic Tidbits and Tangents. You can also learn more about Kara at her website which is karadiamond.com. And finally, Dominique Chabot is Autism Canada's Family Services Manager, and she's also one of my fabulous colleagues. She is a parent to two boys on the autism spectrum and has plentiful experience with navigating the school system for both of her boys. So she does, have, uh, she does have two kids in school and they started today. So she's very excited that they had their first day at school today. And she has lots to talk. We'll have lots to talk about tonight. As we all know, back to school, it can be a tough transition. So we hope that these webinars help and um, alleviate some stress for the whole family. We're gonna talk a bit about self-care tonight again. And um, with respect to our our topics tonight, we're gonna try and hit on self-advocacy, accommodations, what to do after school on the first days back, self-care for the whole family, and then homework. Homework's a big one, obviously. So we're gonna try and hit all of those topics tonight. And so I'm gonna stop talking now and I'm gonna hand it over to the panel to get the conversation started. Again, add your questions in the chat and uh, we'll get going.
2: I'd just like to start by a little co- with a little conversation that Bruce and I had today over messaging, and we were talking about the term accommodations, and I really I hate that term. I I really think when we call it accommodations, it sounds like it's something extra we do as teachers for children that you know perhaps they should be grateful for, or their families should be grateful for that we do in the first place. Uh, And for kids, it makes them feel like they're getting something extra too. And they might feel bad about that. I think we need to change the language to learning tools because they should be available to everyone. And it should just be assumed as part of our job that we provide the things as best we can for students who need them, whether they have an identified exceptionality or not. So Bruce and I were talking a little bit about that today in preparation for this.
3: That's an important point to raise Not only from the teacher's perspective, but also from the um, student's perspective and also the parent's perspective in that, although that word accommodation has been used historically, um, when Cara and I get get our way and start to run the world, um, we want to make sure that everybody understands that these are different learning tools and strategies and they are useful for everybody at different times. Uh, the normalization of this is, is really super important.
1: Okay, I'm already um, going to talk because I have, a, I have some experience with this. And I think you're bang on. Um, my son had a teacher in grade four who, when um, when the behavioral team suggested that she give him time with the iPad, said, I can't do that because then I'd have to do it for everybody. And I feel like that is you know one of the issues we have today which is just because well first of all just because one child um, is using a a tool doesn't mean every child needs that tool but on the other side of that maybe every child should have access to tools these tools so agree that's just my experience and I'm going to leave it with you to discuss
2: No, I did something this year in my graduate course for beginning teachers where I I did, I called it tool of the day. So every day I introduced a new accessibility tool and I said, you can teach this to your whole class and say, test it out, see if it works for you and let me know, let me know if this works for your brain or not. And I talk a lot too about, you know, things like fidget tools being tools, not toys and we can, we can introduce a tool and say, this is available for those who need it, test it out, see if you like it. And you teach the difference between tool or toy. So you can say, it doesn't look like it's being used as a tool right now. Uh, do you need it? And if you need it, use it as a tool. And if not, maybe pick something else. Um, and like I have always found when you introduce a tool, there's novelty the first time. Everyone's excited, they wanna touch it, they wanna do whatever it is, they wanna look at it. But within a day or two, it's really only the ones who need it who are still seeking it out because the novelty has has faded.
3: That's a it's a really good point. Again, Cara, what a great point you raised. <laughs> um, kids will. Like you give them the option to use an iPad or a calculator or a scribe, whatever. Yes, the first couple of times, basically, everyone will do it just because it's new and it's fun and it is a toy. But i found in my experience, and I understand I usually teach at a higher uh, age group, that people get sick of it, and it's like, I don't need the iPad, I'm not going to use it. But what's super important is the time that they do need that iPad for something, it's available.
2: And if you start out your year in September, and you're taking the time to say, everyone needs different things in this classroom, and what does your brain need? What's hard for your brain? What's easy for your brain? What things help you when things are tough? And parents, you can have that same discussion at home. Um, but doing that, you, you're all already setting up a climate where it is okay for people to need and use and access different things.
1: Can we talk a bit about what accommodations parents can ask learning for? Learning tools. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Oh, tools and, tools oh and God, teaching sorry. strategies.
2: <laughs> can
1: we talk about what learning tools parents can ask for? Uh, should be asking for how they ask for them, um, what the best strategy for that is. I think that's, that's an important question that a lot of parents have. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Maybe actually before that, Dominique, what has been your experience with that? Asking for learning tools or strategies?
4: I have, um, I've had some luck the past several years where um, for my youngest who is, in a mainstream, uh, class and requires some partial support, meaning that they would pull him out to do, um, or to help him focus, whether it's, you know, the, the, um, what's being taught at that very moment is probably too advanced for him. And he needs that one-on-one support, but he has started, he's in grade five now. And he has, he, you know, he's coming to the realization that he doesn't want to be pulled out because he doesn't want to come across mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. someone who requires that extra attention um so what we were able to build the past couple of years because it's a it's a small school but the teachers all kind of know each other and it it's it's a great communication between the teachers because you know this this year's school teacher has actually consulted with last year's school teacher mm-hmm. to find out what worked best so for last year, Um, What was brought up and this was completely the teacher's idea was to have a hamper of various fidgeting tools um, and supports that the entire class had access to. And it was one of those things where, you know, every month or so she'd switch them up but every child in this classroom had access to this. And there, there apparently there was a lot of kids who required these tools. Yeah. Um, another thing that was um, a huge success was, and I mentioned it in the last uh, series that we had the last session, was um, oftentimes my little guy who's severely ADHD needs to run. He just mm-hmm. needs to exert that energy. He's got so much... I don't know where he gets it from. It's not from me, but he's got a lot of bottled up energy. And again, this hinders his ability to focus and stay focused. So oftentimes they would pull him out to go and run the track outside. But what they've done is he'd be allowed to invite a friend or even two from his classroom and rotate that, you know, that group of friends to race just to go for a quick race. It was a five-minute exercise just to help him um auto regulate and exert that energy in order for him to focus and it was just like a quick you know little activity and it was very beneficial for these kids so i'm curious to see how it's going to work out this year but i know that the lines of communication are open and it's important for me to keep that communication going and if i have any suggestions or ideas that are inclusive for all i will put those forward whether it's through the iep meeting or just that one-on-one communication with his teacher.
2: Mm-hmm. I would sorry, oh,
3: go ahead. No, going, well, actually, sorry, I I I I um I want to emphasize something that that um Dominic has just said. Um, using a resource on Cara's website. Um at Autism Canada, we often get people asking, I want to buy what's a fidget toy I can buy for my child. And the truth is every child's going to want something different and every child is going to want something different at a different time. Mm -hmm. So what's important with the fidget tools, and this happens, this is neurodiverse or uh, neurotypical, on Cara's website, she has a a little um, uh, pamphlet on what a child thinks which tool would be useful in a certain circumstance. And I think that's really important. We often don't think about the the, the teaching that's necessary for it for a fidget tool. It's not it, we just can't just give it to, to the kids and go there. You go, everything's fixed now. Because what's a child going to do with them? And and sometimes we want them, like I have for my stones, they're just grounding the part points for grounding. But sometimes we kind of um, in Dominic's case with her youngest child, sometimes. Where you can't leave a classroom for a certain whatever reason, and, and there are reasons that's uh useful, then the fidget tool that's necessary is something that maybe is a little more active. Maybe a, a fidget spinner, maybe whatever, because each child's going to have strengths and, and weaknesses. So not only it's not just we have the fidget tools, we also need to teach the, the children, the students, what to do with them in in. I'm going to say the best way, but just what to do with them.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and I have suggestions on, on there as well, or linking to my blog in a post about how you can teach fidget tools as a family, uh, which is very similar to how I do it in the classroom, but um, that's really important. If you're, if you happen to be sending in a fidget, you want to be sure your child knows how to use it and Um, you especially want to think about what um, what works best at different times, right? Like something that, you know, has lights up or makes a noise probably not so good during an instructional period where the teacher is teaching a lesson, Uh, though there are certainly times when that can be used maybe during a work period, certainly at recess. Um, But talk to your child about that and, and obviously talk with the teacher as well if you're sending something in. Um, and I, oh, so getting back to Julie's original question about accommodations that work um, and are and that you should be able to ask for learning tools and strategies, uh, definitely letting the teacher know if you're ch- well, I think all autistic children should have more breaks, even if they don't seem to need it. I think breaks are important to build in uh, for ongoing wellness and managing of energy. Because school is so much, so demanding on our energy in so many ways. Uh, So letting them know that breaks are um, something that works for your child. And then you can have further conversations about what those look like. I think movement, some kids really need movement breaks, like Dominique was mentioning. And uh, you could talk to your child about like quiet breaks, reading at their desk, making origami, drawing, whatever it is. Uh, And set some parameters around that, like how long it could be really the teacher should should set the parameters, but I think you working collaboratively with the teacher and then reinforcing that is is important. Um, I think homework accommodations. I don't think there should be homework, but that's another conversation. Uh, But certainly having having a photo taken of the homework board, instead of having to write it in the agenda is a reasonable accommodation. Uh, Whether it's your child taking the photo or the teacher or somebody in the class and uploading it to Google Classroom or whatever portal they use, Um, access to fidgets during lessons, Um, different, you know, and then making suggestions for other support needs, like, you know, if your child needs more help organizing ideas, you can, you can just let the teacher know they might need help scaffolding these things. Uh, Oh, closed captions on videos. Mm -hmm. I have found so many of my students really, really benefit from and and find it so much easier to follow along and interpret what is being said, because many of us have auditory auditory processing issues, uh, and and that can really make make the difference. So ask your child if that's something that works for them, and then that's something that you or they can express to the teacher. Um, My sort of what I think, when I think about what is reasonable to ask I, I would think it through from the lens of, is this something that is, I mean, we can ask for the moon, but I always do think about, is this something that is is reasonable to ask um, a, a, for the teacher to provide everyone? Or is this sort of like a private, like there are private accommodations as well, such as scribing on a test. The teacher can't possibly scribe all the time, 100% of the time. Um, so that would be something I would put on the IEP in particular, something that is is like a, um, sort of a special occasion uh, thing. And then things that you can ask for that first week are more things that are pretty easy to slide into the existing framework of the class, if that makes sense.
3: And it's in two, two points. You don't have to have an IEP or a IPP set up to ask for these. It's, I think, too many parents think, oh, I can't ask for anything if I don't, unless we have the documentation. Now, documentation is really, 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 really important, but these are things that you can ask for at any stage. And to reinforce what Kara's is saying, maybe from a different angle, it's always a negotiation. Um Teachers will, will, certain teachers will be more open to certain things and be resistant to certain things. More teachers, some teachers will, will be completely okay in certain, um, for different learning tools to be used in different uh, teaching times and, and sometimes just refuse. That's the negotiation aspect. If, if you can get 80% of your supports, that's an 80% win. Yes, we should be expecting the moon. Yes, we should be expecting everybody to be fully um, accommodated, to to use the words, but it's negotiation and and some, you know, just it's reality, maybe. I know I'm not supposed to have a great grasp on that sort of thing.
1: And I'm noticing that Carrie wrote that in in New Brunswick, these are known as universal accommodations, meaning any child can use them, which is fantastic.
2: That's exactly right.
1: I was going to say something, and now I forget what it was. It's gone. Oh, I know. I have a question. I have a question, experts. Um, So my eldest son has an IEP. He's going into grade 10. And when I mentioned to the teacher that he is supposed to get extra time on tests, maybe this will ring true with somebody else, um, they said, oh, everyone gets extra time on tests. That was their answer. And as far as I'm concerned, an IEP is a legal and binding document. So he should be getting extra time on top of the extra time that all the other kids are getting. Is that how, I mean, I'm not quite sure how to address that.
2: Okay. Uh, I have a couple of thoughts. So yes, IEP is legally binding. If it's there, they should have it if they need, you know, your child can certainly say they don't, don't want the extra time if they don't, you know. Um, two thoughts so one is extra time isn't always the best uh, unless there are breaks built in so it's called time off the clock and this comes from Russell Barkley who um, is a psychologist I believe or psychiatrist I'm not sure Uh, and what you want is to give breaks so that um, like the brain has time to kind of relax and and because otherwise you're just giving more time to possibly be distracted in so a break like a movement break and then the clock resuming when uh, the break is over. That That's actually much more helpful than just more time. Um, I would say, so if the teacher has a policy, has a personal policy where every student, if they need more time, they can write this test for as long as they need, then it actually would not need to go on the IEP, but you would have to really investigate that. Is that actually their policy? Or are they just saying, I do this for everyone? And and there's not actually the follow through. Right. Um, but I, as a teacher, if I have a policy of I accommodate everyone with what they need and, and I, I that is available to everyone, it actually doesn't have to go on the IEP because it's available to everyone. If, in fact, it is. Got if, in it. fact, it is. So that's that's where you have to go.
3: Okay. My, my daughter had a teacher last year who, again, grade 10, um, who basically didn't worry about time in exams or tests. So if if they said it's a one-hour test, at the end of the one hours, they didn't just go and pick up everyone's paper. They, they basically gave everybody enough time to finish it. And if my memory serves me correctly, they could take it home to finish if if necessary. Um, sometimes with the point loss, but they also were not very... Um, I, I think the point loss was more to, to stop cheating at home. Like if it's a closed book exam, you, I mean, there's... There could be a reason why you want to make something a closed book exam. And so therefore taking it home, there's a trust issue. And so maybe they lose. And I think it was like 2% or 3%. It was kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, but that was certainly, um, that was one experience. But on the other hand, they also had a teacher who was like, it's 60 minutes and 60 minutes. And if uh, Sky needed to use more time, they had to go to the learning center and use the, t- the extra time. They were very strict with it.
2: Yeah, so I'd probably push for more time and, and time off the clock, right, building, building and breaks, um, but if yeah. it's a teacher, especially if they have multiple teachers, right, so you would still want it in the IEP, and then it's just not necessary in that teacher's class if that's their policy, that everyone has as much time as they need.
1: Got it. Thank you. I love this comment from Jamie that her daughter's in 12th grade, and her IEP entitles her to more time or chunking if she prefers. Chunking lets her do half the test one day and half another. That's Great. Um, so I feel like we've covered, um, learning strategies pretty well. How do you guys, do you guys have anything else to add there? Because we have a lot of things to talk about tonight and I want to make sure we get to them all. Anything else to add there? Everyone in the, everyone, um, feel comfortable with that. And if you have more questions, you're welcome to email. Um, so homework, we can talk about that now, or we can talk about what to do after school on their first days back.
3: Okay. sorry, could we? Sorry. 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 <laughs> can we finish something that we didn't do last week before we get on to this week? And that's the self-care for the whole family. Yeah. Um, it maybe is something also that can as we answer the these other next questions that we're also responding to that. Perfect. Uh-huh. So um when we were discussing, when we The four of us were discussing this topic a little while ago. One of the things we talk we often talk about making sure that your neurodivergent child is ready for school, and this is all the steps you should should be doing. And one of the things we kind of realized is that you also have to make sure if you're in a family with neurotypical and neurodivergent children. or even just for the parent, and I don't mean just for the parent, but the parent's important as well, is that there has to be, if you're spending this much time preparing your neurotypical child for this, make sure you're also spending time on yourself and other children so that they're not feeling left out. And we had some suggestions about, um, you know, maybe special dates um, making some, um, going on, on a special outing very specifically for a new typical child rather than a neurodivergent divergent child, um, making sure that parents are having a clear night to themselves sometime, probably in, let's say, this week, the week before school goes back. And I'll let somebody else talk now. <laughs> you no, know,
2: I mean, thinking about that, thinking about one of Julie's questions, expect that first week, first couple of weeks, that the energy cost of school and probably the energy cost of your child going to school for you is going to be much higher. So you have to um, build in breaks for yourself, build in breaks for your child, make sure when you get home, when they get home, it's harder for you as the adult, but uh, make sure when people get home that they have time to decompress. Um, for children, that might mean, you know, 30 minutes to an hour where they can do something that's quiet. You know, they can do something, they can just go to their room and lie on their bed if that's what they want. Um, uh, but like that, let your child know it's okay that they need breaks because throughout their life, that's going to be one of their best strategies to self-regulate and take care of themselves is, is accounting for, you um, you know how exhausting it can be to do things and do things around people in a very social environment where even the curriculum like the academic curriculum is is social and then you're also dealing with trying to interpret and understand instructions from you know a, a person who is a social being and uh and figure out what they're asking you to do on top of just trying to learn what's being taught right.
3: Dominic, like, you're in this situation right now. What's happening?
4: Oh well, and this kind of um, would fall under what to do after school. And I think today was the was a great example of being able to allow my child to communicate with me at his level. So I was working. I so I work from home. And in my office, I have two computers. One is for Autism Canada, and the other one is our family computer. And my youngest came in after school, and he sat next to me, and he turned on his Minecraft. And on his terms, he told me about his day. I wasn't probing too much. I know that he needed that time to decompress, but he still wanted to see me because he was used to having you know to being at home and around the family and so i kind of realized today that you know and of course he's getting older that that time after school um i'd like to give him the opportunity to do whatever it is that he feels he needs to do to decompress if that means coming in my office and you know quietly playing minecraft and maybe on occasion piping up and telling me about how he spent his day that's great at the dinner table we talk about Everyone's day, and what you know, what was special about their day, blah blah blah. But after school, um, you know, some parents really want their kids to do their homework right up right after school. But I honestly feel that my recommendation for both my kids on the spectrum is give them that space, give them that time to decompress. My oldest, when he came home, he went straight down to his bedroom. Um, he had to do a Google search for Mr. Bruce and <laughs> to find out what kind of whale I, I don't know, but anyhow. Then he went and played the piano and that was his way of decompressing. So I need to give them that space. I think it's really important and let them come to me when they're ready. I am like pain
1: of asking way too many questions right after school.
2: I was just going to say that.
1: The number of times my youngest has said to me, stop asking me questions (laughs) is, you know, you'd think I would have learned by now, but I am so interested in how his day went that I can't help myself I'm really bad at it but I really this is my goal for this year is to let him come home let him do his thing and not ask a million questions because it eventually comes out I just need to be more patient
3: (laughs) Julie don't if you watch like any sitcom from like the 1930s to like even now That behaviour is modelled for us. Sorry, the incorrect behaviour or the behaviour we're suggesting is not a good behaviour is is always shown. It's always the kids get home from school and immediately they sit down with usually mom, and this is what happened at school, blah, 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 or any conflict. It's just like the kids need that decompression so badly. And the first week it's like, Actually, Julie, you know, in the first week, maybe just leave the house for for an hour or something.
4: <laughs> that
1: might be the best strategy, to be honest. That might yeah. be the best strategy. Yeah. <laughs> just he takes transit now. So I used to pick, well, during COVID, I was picking him up. So we'd get, he'd get in the car and be like, How was your day? Who'd you talk to today? What were you doing? What did you learn? What did you do? And now he's taking the transit home. So it's a little less in his face right away. But yes, I think you're right. I think I probably should
4: just. Lock myself up. You'll <laughs> get the best out of him when you let him come to you on his terms. Oh, I've, I've realized I that. I think. Yeah, it's- I know that.
1: I'm just I'm just obsessed. Anyway, <laughs> carry on.
2: <laughs> um, so. one, one thing I want to mention, too, is uh, so I've heard this from many, many of my students that often they are most comfortable socializing online, like on video games and things like that with people. So, so sometimes the tendency can be, you know, that's like when you want to focus on homework and all these things, That that's what, that's what goes, but that might be the time your child is most comfortable. Um, so as long as you know who they're talking to, you're monitoring kind of that, like the safety aspects, but that might be when they feel most socially connected and socially competent um so i'm i'm very much in favor when we can allow children to have those opportunities because their 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 neurotypical peers get to do those things too right neurotypical peers are playing video games and chatting with friends online and things like that so um just a little plug for allowing that when we can
3: and also on that point which i mean uh dominic what you're doing is parallel playing with um your youngest. In other words, they're coming home into playing Minecraft. And by the way, if any parent in here doesn't know what Minecraft is, <laughs> it is like the best, safest game for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not passive, there's active. It's like it's like building Lego. They can have interactions if you allow them to have interactions online with, with other other people, but also it's just a it's just a space to, to build, and I find it the most calming thing. Anyway, parallel play is allowing that to happen next to you as you're doing something else, and it's amazing how much wonderful social conversation happens in that when we are not setting the rules, when we're not saying, this is the time you need to speak, but just allowing it to happen organically. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah Ooh. yeah minecraft is uh it, it's still so popular like i've seen i've seen trends i've seen things come and go but minecraft has been very consistent and i think it's because of the creativity and being able well there's multiple modes you can play in, but one is just creative mode where you are are building things and um creating your own world and uh exploring that and it gives gives kids things to talk about because so many kids talk about this, this game. So Mm -hmm. I think that's another reason it's important to do some of those things.
1: My 13 year old has come back to it. He stopped for a while and he was playing some other, maybe not as great games. And now he's come back to it and it's great.
4: I have to give kudos to someone who is um, on the, in this meeting. So Jamie, who is also a colleague of ours. um, I knew nothing of Minecraft and she is a subject matter expert. And I asked her, like, what is what is Minecraft all about? What do I do? And she flat out said, run. <laughs> but I've learned so much about Minecraft through Jamie and through Sammy that um, it's actually it's okay. It's not so bad. And um, it requires a lot of patience, a lot of focus. So I find it very interesting to see him sit longer than 30 minutes without having to get up and, and run a marathon. It's very calming for him. So it's actually quite uh, therapeutic, if you will.
3: And actually, it takes focus or it doesn't. Like there's other times mm-hmm. in 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 Minecraft, like quite honestly, when I play it and I build kilometer long train lines, I just sit in the train and watch everything go by. <laughs> and I'll do that for 20 minutes mm-hmm. just because I do that in real life as well is completely apropos of nothing
1: Maybe <laughs> we need to have a, a webinar on minecraft
6: <laughs> right
1: a full minecraft webinar um yeah so that's another thing that's great for self-care right you find something like that that you enjoy like i do a lot of word games so for me i take a break and i play my wordle and my portal and my total and that is my and i do like eight of them it's ridiculous but it's my sort of downtime i love it
4: I think what needs to be said about self-care though is that you need as a parent or a caregiver you need to allow yourself this time daily and and it it, it needs to be guilt-free. The reason why you need this self-care, this break for yourself is the same reason that we are pushing for our neuro, you know, neurodivergent divergent children to take these breaks as well. So essentially you know we know that our kids need these breaks these body breaks these you know fidget tools these whatever all of this stuff is important to them but it's just as important to the caregiver and to the parent um in order to be able to continue you know moving forward
1: i i trust that care is going to come back but she froze on us permanent yeah. there so i think yeah. she'll be back um yeah, I think the self care point is really important, especially in these first few weeks. And we want to make sure that we take care of ourselves. We give our kids the space they need to process their day. You know, after after doing nothing all summer, it is going to be fairly intense for their bodies and brains to come to get well, back. In. And,
4: and they're, know, all, they're also, you often. know, we're starting over basically from scratch with the pandemic. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. the end of whatever. Um, this is going to be a new routine, like as. Yeah. Compared to the last three years,
1: yeah, yeah. Let's just hope they stay. Mm-hmm. Um, should we talk a bit about homework now?
3: Dum I'm dum sure. dum. Bruce,
1: I know, I know. Um, Kara
3: well, just Kara texted me her computer crashed, but she'll be getting back online. Um,
1: we can talk about some other things, <coughs> that, but um, homework. I think I'm. I trust that everyone's going to want to hear about some homework strategies. In my house, homework is a nightmare.
5: Uh-huh.
1: I cannot get my my Ben, who's neurodivergent, to do homework. And I'm not sure what's going to happen this year. He's going into grade eight. And it's going to be interesting. He's going to have exams this year for the first time. So, he's going to have to study. And I just, I'm dreading it. So... I'm excited to talk about this. For you to talk about this. So, I'm
3: going to. I'm. I'm. I'm speaking on my behalf, and I know Kara and I agree on this. Neither think homework is a good idea. As a general, you must do this sort of homework every day. It doesn't. It often doesn't allow all children any reflection time. It doesn't allow them to um, take a break from school. Um, and there's a whole bunch of studies saying that homework in and of itself doesn't do very much. It's, it, it has marginal positive effect on a small amount of students. Now, that's our political statement. Boom. Let's talk about homework.
1: I agree with you entirely. I wish it didn't exist.
3: Well, um, but yeah. yeah. The, the problem with homework is... It's something that was done 150 years ago, and it becomes this routine that teachers are taught that you're supposed to do homework, but so rarely is anyone ever explained what the homework's for. Cara, I've just just been on our political homework is is a bad thing, and let's now talk about homework. And welcome back.
2: (laughs) Thank you. if, if your child is getting too much homework, you can limit the homework. That's, that's what I would say. Have, have an amount of time, do a little bit of everything or, you know, prioritize, but they have been working probably at least twice as hard as the other kids all day. And now what, like they come home and they're expected to do more work. I think we, we need to teach work-life balance and, uh, you know, I, uh, homework, there's so much research that shows that homework is not actually helpful. So uh, I understand if if there's a little bit of catch up that needs to be done, you know, but it should really be limited. It should not be a lot of work. Um, and uh, I do something called the chunk and check-in with work. And I, I always recommend families use this. If your child isn't yet fully self-directed with their homework, um, you sort of review with them what they have, have them pick a subject um, you take a look at what, how many questions, or, or what what the work is, and you assign like a small amount, like what you think is a manageable amount for them to do on their own for a few minutes. And um, and then once they're done that, you check back in, you assign the next next amount. So you're you're chunking the amount of work so it's less overwhelming. Like they don't feel like oh my goodness I have to do this many things. Um, math is one of the the subjects that I think is is easier to reduce um, and not not cause too many issues at all because you can you can look and say okay if your teacher assigned let's say 30 questions and 10 of them are you know this type of question uh you know reduce that by half say so, well they were able to do five out of the ten correctly like what what's the big deal uh move on to the next section so like that's you you want to see that they understand the concept of whatever that type of problem is before you move on to the next type of problem, um, but that's pretty easy to reduce, um, and just send a note, you know, or or let the teacher know. Sometimes my child's cap is this much, and this is this is how I do it.
3: <laughs> a teacher, like as a teacher, we can't be upset if homework isn't done because fundamentally if you've set homework and it's not done the only person that's in trouble is the student and it's a choice and if they like if a student cannot does not have the spoons to do the homework and i forgot we should be talking about spoons at some stage um, if someone has if that student doesn't have spoons for the homework it, making them do it is not going to get anywhere it's not going to be easier they're not going to retain the information they're not going to retain any positive aspects that the homework could have done As parents, as students, as teachers, we need to accept that. And And, and, yeah.
1: Sorry. Um, I was going to ask if um, limiting homework can be one of the IEP learning strategies. And I know we're gonna talk about IEPs, but um, is that a note to the teacher to say, we don't do homework, sorry, or we'll make our best effort with homework or I'm gonna write it right into the IEP that we don't do homework.
2: I think I, it can definitely be on the IEP, reduced chunked homework, things like that. Or, or I, I've never seen no homework, but I don't see why it couldn't be on there. But I think it's probably a discussion, and it's it's probably better to say, you know, my child's, you know, you know, we we prioritize mental health and well being, and my child really needs a significant amount of downtime after school. So if, if if we do homework, we do this amount of homework and you can let me know what to prioritize. You can always have that kind of relationship with the teacher too, where you say, you know, let me know if there's something that absolutely is necessary. Um, But yeah, like what, what's gonna happen? Not much. (laughs) Yeah,
3: it's, this is, it's the negotiation part again. Like much as, uh, I'm gonna speak to myself just right now. I mean, there had been times my kids have brought home stuff that's homework. And it has to be done because there's a resourcing problem. You know, uh, and, uh, an essay has to be finished because the unit's going to be finished on Friday. And maybe my child was away. And so that essay had to be done that night. You know what? Okay. It's it's probably not gonna be the best essay, but I can I mean that's a negotiation point that makes sense. There's a reason for it. It just can't happen all the time. It and it shouldn't happen all the time. Yeah.
2: I think as we get into to high school, for sure, you you were also teaching your child about prioritizing and how to manage a schedule. So I think a little bit in high school is, is definitely appropriate, especially projects and things like that, where you're doing a small amount each day. But you actually have to sort of teach your child, if they haven't been taught this at school, which often they aren't, that when you get a get an essay or when you get an, an assignment that's meant to be done over like three or four weeks that you don't just leave it to the last minute. I say this as I leave everything to the last minute, but I try and teach my students to be better than me. Uh and that you can you can break something down and then just put on your agenda or your calendar or whatever it is, okay, today I'm doing today I'm picking the powerpoint template and I'm adding the title, you know. And then the next day, okay, I'm going to add my intro slide and you know, but you can teach them how to break things down into manageable bite sized chunks.
3: My daughter has color coded calendar, color coded um, agendas. Um, if she has a project that's in four weeks, she'll calculate how much time she needs and she will say, It's like if it's 12 minutes a day, she will do 12 minutes a day.
2: Wow, I like, love that. Yep. That's and- really great. And one thing I like about breaking things down and teaching kids or teenagers to break things down is you can add in things that aren't on the um, the assignment list because the assignment list doesn't include all the hidden curriculum items. Like, you know, you should build in time to practice your presentation or, you know, you should build in a day just to edit um, and, and fix up the grammar, things like that. So you can actually talk through the entire task, try and visualize it together. What are all of the steps required, whether or not they're listed on this this outline?
3: And i bet, in my experience from a a tertiary level, which university college, the one thing that I hate about teaching first years is they haven't learned those time management skills and having things like editing. And grammar checks and practicing presentations. That this is something. This is this is a this is homework in, in one respect, but it's more like getting used to a, a structure. You don't actually have to do very much at, at home to do this, but it's like the importance of editing is is not made strong enough. And editing is incredibly important at a, at the tertiary level, the university college level, and the number of times that people have put a, an oral presentation, and you can tell. Full well, they're just standing in front of the class and they've done, they're actually speaking the words for the very first time. And it's like, this. that's not, that's, you know, that sort of life skill is can be practised at school, at high school, it can be practised at, at, at um, elementary school for that matter that the sense of importance. Dominic, do you have anything? You're just enjoying the, the conversation that we're having.
4: I, I am um, amazed by both your perspectives. And I, Julie, I see where your, where your, your problems are. I can understand how that's challenging, especially in high school or, you know, grade eight. Um, my my whole process when it comes to homework is and Carrie nailed it so Carrie you made a really great comment in the chat um about incorporating some of that into life skills and that's what we do so my agreement which I've put in both my kids um, ieps is um we send me the agenda for the week as what's expected for homework um and typically this the I mean I don't know if it's just the grade five but My oldest in high school, he gets a list for the week of what's expected for homework, um, and I incorporate that into life skills. I don't have him sit and do, you know, 30 minutes of homework a day. I know that he needs to focus on math on Monday, French on Tuesday geography on Wednesday. So instead we have conversations and we'll use math when we're measuring to make supper. We'll use French, um, you know, when I, you know, sit at the dinner table with him and I just speak to him in French and I'm using the verbs that he needs to practice for that week or whatever the case is you just you take you take this knowledge and you incorporate it into a life skill that would probably be more like more beneficial for him and when the time comes where he's being tested he's going to remember that particular activity that was talked about or that we did together um where he's going to be able to apply that skill so that is my parenting tactic, but as far as from a an, um, family services perspective, for those living in Ontario, especially who have a form of funding, whether it's OAP or whether it's special services at home or CSD, um, you know, all, each uh, school board or a school in particular should offer a tutoring program, and you are allowed to tap into those funds to hire a tutor to help with the homework piece because from a parent's perspective, and I've tried this in the past and I've realized it didn't work, which what we converted to life skills is they don't listen to me because apparently I'm terrible at math and I'm (laughs) terrible at science. I'm terrible at, you know, I don't know what they know. I don't, I'm not sitting in a classroom learning what they're learning. So I'd rather hire someone else (laughs) to to take that moment and teach them what needs to be taught um, and let them deal with the consequence, pay them and get reimbursed for my funding. So it's always an option to be able to recruit someone to help support in that way. That way, you're not dealing with that stress as a parent. You're able to take that 30 minutes, if that's what it takes for them to get their tutoring sessions, whether it's virtual or in person, go for your walk, go take a shower, a hot bath, whatever the case is, let someone else help with that. And that's an option for those um, receiving any form of funding. No matter what province you're in, you should have certain fundings allocated to you. And um, it's definitely an option. Talk to your teachers to find out what tutoring programs that school offers.
3: The worst tutor for a child is their parent. Worst. And the worst, worst tutor for a child is a parent who's a teacher. Um, I've... I have refused to, I mean, I help my kids when they of course I help my kids, but there's a time where it's like there's um my son struggled with math the last couple of years, and I tried to help, but he he was treating like a parent, not a not a teacher. So my solution was I had access to grade 12 students who would love nothing more than to tutor their teachers' children. Um, earn a little bit of money and I think get bonus points for them. And um, Corbin had a a teacher, a tutor for two years who was absolutely fantastic. And they only met, they met once a week maybe. Um, Usually when he had a specific problem, a domain problem, they'd work through it. And it was great because she would explain things to him probably the same way as his classroom teacher was doing, but just slightly from a different angle. Don't do it yourself,
2: Jamie, especially as they
3: get older. Don't time,
2: time.
1: So hard. Jamie just mentioned here, and, and I know this is true at my son's high school, but that high school students can tutor special needs students and can tutor actually in my son's high school anybody um, and use their hours towards volunteer requirements for graduation. So that's um, that's a place to look as well. If, you're, if your child is in high school, you can speak to the guidance counselor or you can... I out about the tutoring program in the school and poor Emily is uh, struggling with her grade one child throwing, trying to throw his required reading into the garbage. And uh, she said, you know, she's a teacher and he's not listening to her. So you, he's, she's feeling the same way you are. I think Bruce, (laughs) I'm
2: sad that it's required reading. I wish, I wish it was just like reading time and you can choose, or I don't know if your child, Yes, his. Uh, If he can choose uh, what he's like, I think kids will if we make reading a chore, it's going to feel like a chore and they won't want to do it. I think we have to, especially at home, but it wouldn't be great in school if they could read what they wanted, um, whether it's graphic novels, whether it's picture books, whether it's listening to a podcast actually activates the exact same part of the brain as physically reading um and sort of have to validate different types of texts so it's really sad that there's required reading in grade one to me (laughs) (laughs) instead of just like read for half an hour if you can and then you could talk to your child about well do you know that when you read for half an hour all of these wonderful things happen to your brain and like there are a whole bunch of infographics you can find that show like kids who read more have all of these benefits and so if your child is is logical. As a logical thinker, you might be able to frame it that way to get to get them a bit more interested in the reading. And I don't know.
1: I did. Um, I read with my son every night until he was about, I want to say 11. We would every night because some days were tough and that was our wind down time. And he doesn't read so much anymore, but that was, um, we read some great stuff. I enjoyed it a lot.
3: So <laughs> um, just on the reading aspect, Kara uh, made a point earlier about um, watching videos with subtitles um, it's something that I didn't realize that I had some speech processing problems until I started watching uh, videos without subtitles and realizing I couldn't understand what was going on the other reverse of this is I would encourage every neurodivergent child to read while listening to somebody else reading the book mm-hmm um i think more research we're doing the more we're finding that uh neurodivergent readers especially often need that extra input of the oral at the same time um it has made my son's reading and he's going into grade eight now but in grade seven he was struggling a little bit with his reading until he teacher said oh they can I have a. She had a resource of the books being read, and he would read while listening. He was reading so much more and taking it and remembering. And mm. it, it's both the visual and the oral being stimulated at the same time. Um, and of course, you can tune out the 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 oral to just read for a little while, or you could tune out the um, the the visual to just to to listen for a little while. Allows them to have that choice. And I think and that can be can be done from kindergarten to
2: graduate school. Definitely. I teach that to to my graduate students too. Um, uh, Speechify and also Google Read and Write are two apps that um, they have free versions um, that can do this: can read PDFs, can read text out loud. Um, so then it's then you're getting access to the two modalities as you read: the listening and the and the visual. So. Um, and there's probably others as well.
3: <laughs> so that's all about homework.
1: That there shouldn't be any. And uh, yeah. chunk chunkin, chunkin. Oh. Chunk in, yeah, I know.
3: It's- the chunk and checkin, check in, I think is, it, it, I mean, that's, it's brilliant. And it's maybe to finish that aspect of it again, it's to, to, to recognize the limitation your students, your kids have. And be okay with that. Don't let anybody say that they need to do something over and above what they cannot handle just because they're completely exhausted.
2: I had a student. I just this is an anecdote, and they were feeling really, really burnt out um, during the pandemic to the point where they couldn't even enjoy things that they would normally enjoy at home. Like they're they they were just sort of having trouble activating to do anything and just feeling frozen frozen in anxiety and um after conferencing with this student I spoke to their mom and we just came up with a plan to give them Wednesdays off if like if that's possible why not have a mental health day have a doesn't have to be every week necessarily but if your child's in an active crisis or or an extreme stress situation it might need to be weekly but then we just talked with the classroom teacher and and said like that's a day to accommodate as much as possible not introduce new concepts if you can and uh you know photocopy any notes or anything you know really reduce the amount of catch-up required and um on that day the student did whatever they felt like doing playing with the dog going for a walk baking cookies um anything that was not schoolwork unless if, if by the end of the day, they, they felt like they could do homework, they might choose to do that, but they then were able to manage and feel quite successful the other four days of the week. Um, and what's like, you are allowed to keep your child home for a day or you're allowed to have a sick day for them uh, if that's something that you think is necessary for your child.
1: Um, there's a question here. Um, well, there's a couple things here. Um, Asa has mentioned that she does guided reading in kindergarten and sends home books that the educators have read with the students in class. The children can also bring home books from the classroom library and the school library for parents to read to their children. We never referred to it as required reading. It was always meant to be enjoyable for both the student and family. Even 15 minutes a day at the kindy level can help if possible. So that's a little guidance from a kindy teacher. Thank you, Asa. And then Katrina has said, uh, has a question. Um, she, sh- sh- they have been finding that their son is practically hysterical when he's picked up from camp. He's age, he's four, uh, but his camp teacher says he's had a great day. Any suggestions for his JK teacher to support him during the day? We've tried home days for mental health, et cetera, but this became an issue because it's inconsistent for him. And he's My- four.
2: Okay. You know, so many of our students or ourselves um, hold it together throughout the day. So it can look like we're having a great day, we're coping really well, and then we get home and that's when it's like meltdown or shutdown. down. Um, so that's a sign that they need to be building in breaks. They need different types of breaks. Maybe ask your child what he would like. Does he want like a quiet break to read? Does he need um, a movement break? Uh, does he need to get out of the classroom and sit somewhere quiet for a few minutes? Um, and then that should be built in like every half hour, you know, ha- having some sort of break or a choice of break. Um, like, yeah, not, if you're having that reaction when they get home, that's a signal that they needed time to restore and catch up earlier.
3: So in the day you're talking about in during the day. That, yes. Uh, so I, that would I, be something
2: I'd ask for. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Because that's I, it's a it's a it's always a problem. I mean, this is a problem I think with any kid that they're at camp and everybody thinks that they're doing a great job. And they, you know, the camp leaders go, "Did you have a good day?" And they go, "Yeah, yeah, it's great." And they get home and it's just like, Phew! they're masking.
4: Uh, yes, yeah. that's the word. That's the word. And it starts uh, uh, as young as four years old. It mm-hmm. starts so young, and it's so important. I'm sorry, Bruce. I don't want to cut you off. No. But it's So important because. This means that the child is focused all day in trying to conform into an environment that is not designed for this poor little guy, right? So he's doing his best to conform and try to blend and try to fit in. And the minute that he is able to just be himself, he's just so overwhelmed. And from from this day of constant masking that he's probably just breaking down. So... The teachers or the camp teachers or the, you know, JK or whoever, they need to know that he he should have, he should be able to um, be free from masking and being in an inclusive environment. And if he needs a break, give him the break. If he needs to stem, let him stem. He needs to exert a lot of his energy because if he's starting to mask now, it's only going to get worse as he gets older. That's my two cents.
3: So, so Katrina, I think the, I, I think there's nothing wrong with your child.
1: Nope. I was there, just going to ask I, Katrina to unmute, actually. Katrina, if you want to unmute, maybe we can have a little conversation about this, because I think it's probably important for everyone. Hi there. How are you?
6: I'm well, thanks.
1: Good. Um, Your last comment is he will literally lie down in the parking lot. It can't pick up. Yeah. I, my son was similar at the end of the day. So Bruce, back to you.
3: So... I think even if I have to break it, So I mean, this is this is this is a problem. And I think this is a very this is a problem at camps, is that the camps are built to be busy and everything is 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 pushed into this time. And if a child is not seen to be busy, very often the camp leaders will like be encouraged to you get involved, do this, 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 this it. again. This is not your son. Sorry, just had to make sure I got the pronoun right. This is not your son's problem. This is the way the, the teaching environment or the camp environment has been structured so going into school this i think this is something you just need to be raising with the teacher and saying this is the situation and as kara said before and as as dominic said it's like he needs a break he needs a regular break and he needs to there needs to be downtime actually for everybody in in the in the classroom but just maybe that that encouragement
1: I I see your point, though, about if he was offered a break, he would refuse because he wouldn't want to miss out on anything. So maybe the opportunity is to go to the teacher, you know, right on the first day and say, please provide him with these breaks at certain times instead of instead of saying to him, do you want a break? Because
2: he may not recognize that he needs a break. Right. Am I right? Yes, definitely. And it it also might be uh, if your child's The kind of child who would be interested in having a little job, one of the best breaks we can do is like, oh, could you go take this to the camp office for me and then come right back, depending on the age, of course, and all of that. But sometimes having little structured opportunities like that don't feel like you're missing out. You're doing something extra that's exciting. Um, And then the other thing I would say um, is, I mean, this is going to sound Obvious. So I, I don't mean it to be that way, but obviously talk to your child um, and ask what might make you know why he's feeling the way he's feeling and what would make him feel better. Like maybe, maybe we're assuming it's the energy cost, and maybe he's just sad that the day is over. Like sometimes the best insights we get are through collaboratively problem solving with children to say, I've noticed that you're having a tough time at pickup and you know you, you're lying on the ground and um what's up? And see what some of the issues are and then and then see what solutions your child can can help you come up with and possibly agree with. Uh, I'm going to put a, a link in the chat. So Dr. Ross Green wow. has a collaborative and proactive solutions approach and this is a way of conferencing with children to get to the root of problems and come up with a plan that that you and the child or the teacher and the child, whoever it is, Um, both can agree on and it's not a unilateral okay you have to do this and this and this the child actually has probably more voice potentially than the adult and when I use this with kids like I've discovered that often my assumptions about what the problem is are often completely incorrect so this is so much more insightful Um, and then there are ways if your child is nonverbal, there are also ways to ask them like you know show show me from 1 to 5 how true what i'm about to say is with 5 being very true and 1 being not true at all or or 0 being not true at all and then you would say are you having trouble because it's too noisy and then they would show you with their fingers um so there are there are lots of ways on that website that can help you figure out how to do this and it works with any age obviously you you change your language depending on developmental level but you know your children so thank you that into your question Katrina it's
6: definitely a start um he struggles with communication so um it's definitely a start for sure
3: okay yeah. it, it, well, Katri- there's nothing wrong with your son
6: no I this just f- want to make sure that I'm not doing a disservice to him by sending him to camp or expecting him to participate in a full day of JK or should I write you know, from the start, say he only attends half days or he only goes three days a week. I, I'm not really sure um where to start because I don't want him to be so stressed out that he doesn't enjoy school. I want to set him up for success, but not overdo it. I mean so you I'm could, not really you could sure. Have
2: a, you could have a plan with the school to start with half days for the first week or two and then and then gradually build on or build on the next week and as long as you explain it to your son and and so that your son understands. What's happening and how the expectations will change.
4: Yeah, I, for sure. I have a suggestion as well, Katrina. Um, I think when it comes to camps, and, it, and you know, and I've been there with nonverbal. My oldest was nonverbal until he was almost nine. Um, the thing with camps, especially when they're going into, um, you know, JK, that structure that the camp does offer. Um, prepares him for school, and it's it's a it's and and the social aspect is important as well. Um, so as a parent, I often recommend you know to my peers and and my friends who have children on the spectrum. You know, I, th- I think camp is important because it gets them into this a similar routine um, as school. Um, and from a professional perspective, I think it's a it's a very strong um, it, it's it's a positive experience in order to help with the social aspect. So don't give up. Um, I think that you're doing you know as parents we do what we think is best, but it's hard when we're not able to learn you know, exactly what our, you know, if it's our mistake or if it's during the day or if something triggered this behavior, it's hard for us to learn because, you know, it's difficult for them to express that, but don't give up, find, you'll find a way to be able to communicate with your son and to figure out exactly, you know, what the scoop is. So Kara has provided some, and Bruce, if both provided with some really good tools to be able to open those lines of communication with your with your son and with the teachers and then just keep going keep advocating
1: thank you and if you have more questions call Dominique on our family <laughs> on our family services line because she's always there to answer calls
6: i'll have to get that
1: contact
0: info thank you so much <laughs> i'll plug saying, it in right now <laughs>
1: i will just just on that note i will be sending an email out tomorrow with all of the contact info so uh, bruce and and dominique are are the voices at the end of the phone when you call autism canada for family services, family support. So um, if you do have questions, you are more than welcome to phone or email info at autismcanada.org and they would be happy to help. And Kara obviously has an amazing website and I know that you can send her. Oh, and Dom just put her email, her her information in there in the chat for you. Um, Candice, regarding camps, I know that maybe dom can speak to this a bit more than me but um we do offer training for these kinds of things we do not have a registry of camps that require training um however dom do you have any further no we do have a couple of we do know we have a list of of camps for neurodivergent
4: kids i think right so we actually um we do have we are in the process of building a camp directory for all of canada um, so these are all the camps that offer a service, um, whether it's March break, summertime, or on the Christmas holidays. And um, it's a directory that one of our um, co-workers are putting together now. Some of these camps we've already reached out to and um, have had a training with them. Um, but this directory is is it, it's a biggie. It's a doozy of a directory. There's a lot of camps out there. Some are neuro you know designed for the neurotypical um kids but um all camps all camps um should be uh inclusive camps and your child whether on the spectrum or other should be able to attend these camps and if it means getting that extra help um you know that's that's a completely different speaker series we can talk about that for sure but reach out to me and I would be more than happy to provide you with that information but by the spring, I think maybe maybe even earlier, so my guess is like end of February, um, we will have that directory of camps uh, available for the 2023 seasons. And um, you'll be able to find all of these camps within your region. <laughs> I just saw your comment, Candace. Yes. Yeah. All of Canada,
1: all of Canada. <laughs> it's These kinds of things are a big deal for us. We want to make sure that we can provide these resources. Um, we also have a resource called Autism Junction, Don, Maybe you can talk to that a little bit because that might be interesting.
6: Right, well. so
4: on our website under the publications key or tab, we have um, we have two very, very important documents that are posted there. They're actually going to be moved to like front, front line and center for our website at some point soon, hopefully. One of them is called the Provincial and Territorial Funding, and that document is essentially all of the provincial and federal funding available by province. So um, those of you who are seeking financial support, you can go to the Provincial and Territorial territorial Funding uh, document and find your province, and then you can find the list of funding that is available to you. Um, and then apply directly that way. Then we also have our Autism Junction document, which is a very, very uh, detailed document of autism-related services and supports, divided by, um, or yeah, divided by province. And then you'll even find the city that these these agencies, organizations, and supports are located. So you just narrow it down to your city, and you can find all of this information on our website. It's on our publications page. And it's another huge doozy of a document. So that took us a little bit away from the back to school topic, but.
1: Sorry. Since you asked, <laughs> since you asked, we're going to share. <laughs> um, what does anybody have any other questions? Oh, Bruce. We want to talk about spoons. We want to talk about spoons. Talk about spoons.
3: <laughs> Yay for spoons. Um The concept of the spoon comes from a blog, and I need to have this person's name on my wall so I can remember. Um, This woman has lupus, and they were trying to explain to a friend of theirs why they were so tired all the time, because lupus is an invisible disability, very much like most of our neurodivergent disabilities. And on the spur of the moment, the woman with lupus came up with this idea of spoons, and, and it goes like this. you Just imagine that you have 50 spoons, and every time you do something, you have to take a spoon, and you can't use that spoon any anymore during the day. And every activity takes a spoon. So if you are getting up in the morning to get out of bed is a spoon to go and brush your teeth is a spoon to remember to put pajamas on is a spoon to go and make your breakfast. And breakfast can maybe be 10 spoons to make. And then if you happen to, uh, let's say you're going out to work or you're going out to school, what clothes am I going to wearing? That could take three spoons. And when you run out of spoons, you can't do anything more. Your day is finished. You've run out of energy. This spoon metaphor is a wonderful metaphor to be using uh, with children and with neurodivergent adults because, one, the acknowledgement is you only have a limited number of spoons in a day. And the one of the bigger differences between a neurodivergent person and a neurotypical person is an activity that a neurodivergent person um, needs to do may take five spoons, where a neurotypical person may only need one spoon to do that. Um, there's much more cognitive effort every time we are dealing with social situations. We have to be thinking about what's going on. It takes more spoons. Planning, you've only got a certain number of spoons. So if you have, let's say you have an evening function, you need to make sure you have spoons for the evening function. And that may mean that you don't do something during the day because you'll run out of spoons. So the spoon becomes this, it's a silly metaphor, In respect, in in respect. It it, it actually is like, what does it mean? But it's a wonderful one of the good things about silly metaphors is, is that they're memorable. And it's something that I use all the time with my interaction with my children, with students, with our adults, talking about how you what's your spoon level like? And my daughter literally will come home. Um, she would often text us and say, out of spoons. That basically meant she came home went straight to her room and sat down on the bed and we didn't interact because she's she's flagged to to us as parents that she's got no there's no energy there's no interaction that can go on it'll be a waste of time and would just get could 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 turn you know stressful um it also allows us to start talking about you know, you've got some, you've got to do these three things. So just make sure that you don't spend all your spoons on doing step one. You've still got two and three to go. So that's basically the the spoons in a nutshell. It's a it's a multivalent metaphor it can be used. Anyway. I
1: love how I love how visual it is too. Like to me, it's like I can see my pile of spoons and I can see it getting smaller. And I think for for a child, that's really um, that can be really effective. Because it can be very visual, you know, you could actually have something that you yeah. put in a jar, right, like a marble or something that you put in a jar to teach a child how to sort of manage their day, which is, which is kind of an interesting idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so um, sorry, I just got distracted there. <laughs> My dog is here on the bed beside me. Um, so does anyone have any questions? Because I think we've sort of broad-stroked everything. Um, does anybody have any questions that they would like? No spoons left for homework. Exactly, Candace. exactly. <laughs> That's my house every night. Nice one. Um, does anyone have any questions? I'm happy to take you off mute. We've got a few more minutes left with our, with our expert panel here. Um, so we're happy to chat. If there's something specific you want to ask about, now's the time. You can put your hand up and I can try and unmute you or you can put it in the chat. Nothing?
3: No, no spoons from anybody. People
1: oh typing? Maybe someone's typing. Oh Candace, Candice. Okay, I'm gonna unmute you, Candace. Hi there. Oh, hi. Carrie, <laughs> I'll get to
5: your question in one second. Go ahead, Candace. Um, so my son is entering grade two. And his peer group, the kids around him are are starting, just starting to notice that he's a little bit different, that he marches to his own drum. My son doesn't mask at all, and I kind of applaud him for that. He's kind of a, to hell with y'all, I'm just me and I'm going to be me. So, you know, I'm okay with that. (laughs) But he's starting to get blowback from his peers and his friends. I guess this question is more for Kara, is there a way to approach it with the teacher to I'm not even sure that we're going to tell my son, we're going to give him the labels. You know, we, we don't. We think he's too young yet to really understand a lot of it. And so um, is there a way to prep the classroom or that the teacher can prep the classroom without putting a label or a spotlight on him? Um, I mean, teachers can do general inclusion lessons. Uh
2: it's more effective to do a peer lesson if there is a label because then you can talk about the label but I, I think that comes with student permission like your your son would want to be involved involved in that. Um, but I I understand you haven't told your son yet. Um, I will tell you this just um children tend to be, less phased by the label than parent like it, it's it's emotionally so loaded for you um as part of your journey but for your child especially when they, like when they get to the point where they are noticing that they're different sometimes it's important to tell them why um mm-hmm. and usually like all of my students who come to my program are told by their parents that they have a diagnosis of autism before they come um and usually if the parent is anxious about it and the child is like oh Okay. Or they might have questions and, you know, and, and every, you know, I would say maybe one out of 10 would take it really to heart. And then, but then you have to put in the work as a teacher and as, as a parent to have them understand what it means to have autism and autism doesn't just mean all the things that are hard for them. Um, But yeah, a teacher can do a general inclusion lesson, but you wouldn't normally give a lesson about a child without there being a reason why Um, because that can single them out a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, And teachers, it depends how well-versed the teacher is also in in autism um, and what the school board is. My school board has autism support teachers who can come in and do a lesson on autism. I have gone in with student permission and done lessons I've crafted with them. I've disclosed my own diagnosis to classes this this year, which was really fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, But when I do a lesson, it's it's in collaboration, usually with the child.
5: Yeah, we're, we we haven't figured out how to, it's a lot. <laughs> we literally just found out like mild to moderate yeah. ASD, ADHD presentation in both formats and a visual yeah. processing disorder. So I don't yeah. even know where lots, to
2: start. Lots. Well, I mean, start. you know, actually feel free to email me and we can have this conversation. I'd be happy to chat with you about it and and bounce ideas off one another.
5: Well, thank you. I'd yeah. appreciate that.
2: Here, I'll put my email in the chat.
5: Thank, thank you, everybody.
1: Just a couple of resources for you, Candace, Um, And I put them in the chat, but we um, we have a, um, a girl we work with. Her name is Karis and her brother Carter is um, on the spectrum and he's nonverbal. And they do videos that are fantastic to teach about autism. So... Um, maybe the teacher could share that if you're, when you're ready to label, you know, when you're ready to provide that label or give that information, um, they're great videos because they're done by kids. Um, as well, there's a really great book called Clever Carter written by the mother of those two kids actually, um, which is, um, which is a resource for teachers as well to, um, share with their students. Um, so there's a couple of great resources that you can check out there as well.
2: I have to give a little plug for Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood as well. They introduced ah. an autistic character who was voiced by one of my students. And I just thought they did it in such a beautiful way. So for young, young um, children watching shows like that, that talk about everyone needs different things. And it did a really good um, depiction of you know sensory overload and things like that in, in the episodes. Another quick
1: PSA is that our awesome conference is coming up in October. It's on October 22nd, but um, the reason I'm saying this is because there's a, a young boy named Desmond. He's, uh, I want to say eight, and he actually did a presentation for his class about autism, about what, about the beauty of being different, and we'll be sharing that presentation at the conference, um, so if anyone's, if anyone's interested in that, that will be, uh, you know, you can register on our website for that, but um, there's a lot of kids that are really just being super proactive about sh- sharing with their classmates and um you know teaching acceptance really
2: And what just one thought I had that can sort of start the process without you saying the label at all yet is just start talking at home about like oh this is easy for my brain this is hard for my brain this is what I do what do you do for your brain do you find it difficult when you know you start having those conversations and then you're giving your child the language to describe The experience without the label, but and you're also sort of normalizing the idea that there is no normal. Everyone has brains that find certain things hard and everyone can find workarounds. So that includes you and anyone else who lives in the house.
5: Oh, that's excellent. We've already started with the everybody has something they're working on. That's sort of how we've approached it. So
2: yeah, we're all works in progress. That's for sure.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're
2: welcome. Thank you for your question. Anyone
1: else have any questions? There's a few resources I see people have put in the, um, in the chat. I will try and grab them all and send them out tomorrow as well. Um, I think
4: Carrie had a question, Jules, about uh, how often. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where did we go there? How Um, often do we have these Zooms? Oh,
1: Oh, how often do we have these Zooms? Once a year. You know, we would love to do more of these. Um, I think maybe one on mass would be really great i'm seeing katrina's note there as well um we our schedule isn't super consistent right now and that's my fault so i apologize but um if you watch our website we will be doing more of these we did a few last year as well so there are some really great um youtube on our youtube channel you can see the ones from last year we did one about human connection we did uh kara spoke um Kara spoke about uh, supporting your child's education. Um, We had someone talk about sleep. We had someone talk about meditation and mindfulness for kids on the spectrum. So there are some on our YouTube channel, I will send that link out. Um, I'm just thinking about we do have a podcast as well. If anyone wants to listen to that, another plug, I'm sorry, but you're asking. (laughs) (laughs) We have a podcast that's called sharing the spectrum. um, And it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we are going to be adding a lot of things to that podcast in the coming months. In fact, we're, we've sort of changed strategies there and it's going to be a lot of conversations between Bruce and Dom and myself about Dominique and myself, about some of the frequently asked questions we get. So masking would be a great one. Um, you know, there's lots of things about, there's, there's, a, there's a big list of frequently asked questions we get, and we want to have those resources available. Um, and of course, once again, I'm going to remind everyone that Kara has an amazing podcast called Autism Tips and... No, Autism, Autistic Tidbits and Tangents. Thank you, Autistic Tidbits and Tangents. And uh, I'll share that link. But yeah, there's lots of things available and we will share any more of these uh, series on, um, on our website, on social media, and in our newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for that, maybe do, or follow us on one of our social channels. We're on all of them, so feel free to click and all of this information will be there. Any other questions? And if you have, sorry, one more thing, Bruce. Sorry, just, to, yep. just, just, I to totally cut you off and I said I wasn't going to talk. If you have any <laughs> topics that you would like to hear about or you would like us to discuss, uh, send, pop us a note info at autismcanada.org or send it directly to me at julie at autismcanada.org. I would be more than happy to take requests. I'm like a DJ that way.
3: <laughs> so, my question is, Katrina, what sort of, what would you, the workshop on masking, what, what are you looking for?
6: I guess um, I just want to sort of uh, jump into more what what I touched on about my son at camp. Um, I heard someone say that, uh, you know, if he's starting masking this young, we really worry about how this will present when he's older. And I, I know that he is 100% masking all day. Um, he's done that in therapy. He's done that uh, with relatives. He's done that at camp. Um, I'm pretty sure he's going to do it at school as well. And I just, I I worry that he won't get to a point where he'll feel comfortable enough to just be himself. And I don't know how to encourage that um, at this age and would like to just maybe focus on that a little bit more.
2: Okay. I have one idea that you could try, you know, you, you can't obviously control or necessarily see what's happening at school. But I think as soon as your child walks through the door, like having, you know, having that box of fidgets, encouraging like stim breaks, maybe like whole family stim dances, you know, uh, where you experiment with, with channeling movement. And uh, just once they're home, they can do all of the things that they need. So make sure that home is always their safe place. Uh And And like look up as much as you can get in touch with the autistic community. They're on on Twitter and places like that. And you can sometimes find really good ideas for things that are um, more naturally autistic behaviors like stimming and needing to have fidgets and things like that to channel energy.
6: For sure. I've sent little kits to school with him. Um, He doesn't take them out because not everybody has those kits, right? So. At home, he yeah. has access to all the tools. It's just when he's not with us that I that I do worry. Yeah,
1: one of um one one of the good experiences I had at at school for my youngest son was that he had one of those chair those elasticy things around his chair, the bands, yeah. and the teacher made them for every kid. So every kid had them on their chair, and that meant that no one was no one felt like they were exceptional, um, although they were all exceptional. So I think that, you know, there's, there's a way to maybe talk to a teacher about, about offering it up for everybody, you know, maybe I know this would probably cost money, but these days fidget spinners are not very expensive. I don't think, but maybe you buy 20 and you take them into the teacher and say, I want each kid to have this so that my child feels like he's not the only one. I don't know that that's maybe a crazy
6: suggestion, but. um, I'm all for it, but I just, I really don't want to overstep my boundary With the suggestions and the things I'd like to see, but I also want my son to feel comfortable. So it's a very fine line, and you're his only advocate. So
1: you know, other than himself, so you have to, uh, you have to make sure you are doing what's best for him. For sure, it's it's very very it's very tricky. I agree. Yeah, very
3: tricky. We're going to talk when we talk about the IPs and IPPs and ISLPs, We're going to be talking about not. It's always fine to ask a question. It's always fine to ask a, to, to suggest something. Um, teachers, by and large, are very accommodating and want to help all their students. So it can be a little overwhelming in the first week. Just put that in the back of the mind. But it's like um, from a teaching teacher, I always, I always wanted to hear what a parent suggested to make their child have a better experience. I always, 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 always wanted to hear that.
1: Another just quick resource, and we're talking about sort of communicating with teachers. If you weren't here last week, Kara, uh, we sent out in our in our follow up email last week um, links to Kara's website because she has some excellent self advocacy pages that that are really easy for kids to fill out and send in to the teacher. So um, instead of maybe you writing a letter on the first day, you have your child or you work with your child on filling out one of these one of these. Forms And they're fantastic. So I highly recommend you check those out on Kara's website. Um, I will provide the link again, though, because um, I think they're really great, you know, just to say this is what I need. This is who I am. This is what I look like. This is, you know, so um, it also helps, I think, the child sort of self-identify with some of the things that they need. So.
2: And you can follow up like a couple of weeks later and and reiterate what was in that and just say, you know, my child. You know, gets really overwhelmed during the day and you might not notice it at school but at home and uh, this is what we see and breaks are really helpful like you can you can send an email later and just explain where you're coming from and say you know if you have any questions or if you want to set up a time to chat i'm open to that and and teachers are are collecting a lot of information about students in that first month and really getting to know everyone as individuals so Um, Having that information that they can look at when they're ready to after that, probably after that first week uh, is, is really helpful as a teacher.
6: Thank you so much. That's another good point. Not to overwhelm in the first week with a ton of information, probably check in a couple weeks after school has started. That's a great tip. Thank you.
2: Or, or even like item by item. So if, I don't know, no one's organizing a trip in the second week of school. But if they were, then you would have sent an email about on trips, my child needs this. Or, you know, if there was a test, you might say my child's very anxious on a test. Um, so if you don't want to overwhelm right away, you can also do it if there is in something increments. pressing. Yes, in increments, exactly.
6: Okay, perfect. Thank you so much.
1: Does anyone else have any other questions? Anyone? Hand raises or in the chat? I don't see any. Okay, well, in that case, um, I want to really, really thank Kyra and Bruce and Dominique for being here because um, we couldn't do it without them. And they are so great at this and I enjoy working with them so much and they can answer every question. So thank you all for taking your time, Dom, especially tonight on the first day of school with your kids. I know you're tired and Mm -hmm. it's been a long day, but thank you for being here. and uh, the next session we're doing on IEPs and IEPs is on September 13th. So if you are registered for this um, webinar, which you all are, you will get a notice about that as well. Um, and just please remember that our family services team, Bruce and Dom are here for you. We as an organization are here for you. If you have questions or concerns, always feel free to reach out, call us, email us. Um, Kara is amazing as well. Send a note to her through her website or through her email, which she shared. And uh, and we're always happy to help. So thanks everyone for being here and uh, appreciate your time and uh, have a great night.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for more episodes of Sharing the Spectrum and Autism Canada podcast. The beautiful music you heard is from Bruce Pethrick. Bruce is a neurodiverse musician and friend of Autism Canada. You can check out more of his music on his website at brucepetrick.com. Our executive producer is Barbara Patton. Julie Perkis is our producer. Additional thanks to the Autism Canada team, including Tafari Anthony, Shannon Selinski, Dominique Payment, Mariana Kurik, and Earl Selinski. For more information about Autism Canada, don't forget to visit us at autismcanada.org. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.